You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. preaching through Romans in my church. Uh, We've been in the book for about a year and a half, and we're in chapter 8 now, moving very slowly through this chapter. Many people consider Romans the greatest book in the Bible, and many of those people also then consider chapter 8 to be the best chapter in the best book in the whole Bible, and I am really finding the richness of Romans chapter 8 to be overwhelming to my own soul. Many people who consider Romans 8 to be the best chapter in the best book then consider verse 1 to be the best verse in the Bible. This verse in chapter 8, verse 1, declares that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing statement for Paul to make. No condemnation. Now, it's true that it's only the reality for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are not yet in Christ Jesus by faith in him alone for salvation, then there is still lots of condemnation for you. And you should hurry to get into Christ as fast as you can because those who are in Christ are declared to have no condemnation now or ever. This is the gospel. This is the declaration that God has made true about us. There was condemnation before, and it was earned and deserved, but not now. Now, there is none. This is true in spite of the fact that there is still plenty in us that is worthy of condemnation And yet now, because of God's astonishing and stunning grace, we now have none of it. Paul declared this in verse 1, and then for 38 more verses, he explained why it's true. If you are in Christ, God wants you to know just how secure you are and that nothing and no one can ever separate you from the love of God that you have in Christ Jesus. You will make it all the way to heaven because Jesus took all your condemnation so there is none left for you. Your salvation begins with sovereign grace and it continues forever by sustaining grace. If it began with you, you could lose it. But the Bible says it began with God, and he will finish what he started in you. Hebrews 7.25 says that God is able to save you to the uttermost and get you all the way to heaven. By his grace and through his son, Jesus, Paul declares that you now have peace with God forever. This means that God is eternally for you. And Paul wants you to know it. In Romans 8, he gives layer upon layer of confidence and security for Christians to know that they are safe 
in Christ. And most of what Paul says is about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit to make you safe and joyfully secure. If you sort of look with me throughout Romans 8 as we begin in verse 1, I want to read down through, we'll see how far I read. <laughs> Follow along and pay attention to what the Spirit of God has done to give you security. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All of this is amazing kindness from God. And Paul is explaining the role of the Holy Spirit, first of all in verse 2, to set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the gospel, the Trinitarian work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit to do for you what you could never do for yourself. God did this. He did it by sending his own son in the likeness of our sinful flesh and as an offering for sin to set us free. You, you made no contribution to this. God did all of this for you and he condemned sin in the flesh. And now you live a life according to the spirit of God, no longer living the way you used to live. Now your mind is set on the things of the spirit rather than the things of the flesh. If you still had your mind set on the things of the flesh, you would still be dead in your sin. 
still in that former condition when you could not submit to God's law and you were unable to please God in any way. And Paul reminds the Romans of this. And then he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God dwells in you now. You have the resource of the third person of the Trinity now living inside of you, empowering you to live the Christian life that you previously had no ability to live. You belong to Christ. That's your identity. You are an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. That's who you are now. As a child of God, you've been adopted by the Spirit of God into the family of God. You are safe there. You are in no danger of ever losing your salvation. You are free now to live in joy and peace and victory. And I want you to focus your attention with me this morning at just two verses here in verses 12 and 13. Look at it again with me. Paul says, so then, because of everything he said so far, and did you notice, by the way, how many verses in Romans 8 begin with the word for? Paul says one thing, and then he explains that thing, and then he explains that thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing, and we come to verse 12, and he says here, so then, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is another layer of your security. And it's found in your ability given by the Spirit to kill your sin. To put your sin to death. And as we consider that together this morning, would you just pause and think with me for a moment? What is the sin in your life that you need to kill? What deed of the body do you need to put to death? Not someone else's sin. Not thinking about all the ways that the people in your life, they need to deal with the problems and the, the sins of their life and maybe how their sins are affecting you. Forget all of that this morning. Think about you and your relationship with God. What is the sin that you need to put to death? And here's what I want you to hear me say today. If you're a child of God, that means you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. And so you have the power from God to kill that sin. You don't need to live in that sin any longer. You can put it to death. The Bible says here and in so many other places that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you have eternal, divine resources. You have all the strength you need to get this done. In verse 10, though your outer self is dead because of sin, your inner self is alive because of the righteousness of Christ. In verse 11, your eternal resurrection and eternal life is 100% guaranteed by the same power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. This is how secure and how confident you can be because you have the same power living within you 
that raised Jesus from the dead, you know that God will raise you from the dead too. There's just no way that this won't happen. And because of all of this security and assurance and the promises of God, you are now a debtor. Not to walk in the flesh anymore, but now to walk and live by the Spirit and to put to death the deeds of the body by His power within you. You can now do it. When you formerly could not do it, now you can because of the power of the Spirit of God. The flesh is no help at all, Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life. You cannot change yourself. You cannot change anyone else. But the Holy Spirit does this all the time. What does this mean? Among so many other things, it means this. You should stop ever saying that you or anyone you know can or will never change. If you say that sort of thing, you should stop. Oh, he'll never change. She'll never change. There will be this way forever. No one can change. No one can truly ever change. Christian, stop saying that. Why? Because the Spirit of God does this. Your faith in the Spirit should cause you to always have hope in Him. Hope that He will truly change and transform you and everyone you know. That hope is not in you or in them, but in the power of the Spirit of God. If he possesses the power, listen, to raise the dead, his power is plenty strong enough to change you and anyone and any circumstance in which you feel trapped. We all feel stuck sometimes. Perhaps you do today. We start thinking there's no way out. There's no way that this thing that I'm going through can ever change. After all, you've tried everything, right? Nothing has worked. But if Paul is right, and you do in fact have the Spirit of God present within you, there is always hope. Those deeds of the flesh that you have struggled to kill. Those things in your life, the sins that you feel enslaved to, you haven't been able to put them away, can be defeated. Your struggle and failure to do, so, do it so far does not mean that it can't be done. One of my favorite preachers who is now dead and with the Lord, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that Anyone who is in Christ saying he is absolutely hopeless is a travesty and an utter denial of the plain teaching of the scripture and is just ridiculous. That's what he said. Ridiculous. The Spirit of God lives inside of you, which means that your struggle ends with victory. These two verses, verses 12 and 13, are tremendously helpful and practical for us in our sanctification. This is how we live our Christian lives. If you live by the Spirit, Paul says, this is what happens. You put to death the deeds of your body. 
There's no other way. It's what you do. You do this because you know who you are. You know all that God has done for you in Christ and by his spirit. And so you wage war against your body by the power the spirit provides. You don't live in the flesh or fight your sin according to the flesh. If that's what you do, he says here that you will die. But if you live and fight and kill the deeds of your body by the Spirit, you will live. Sometimes we don't get this straight in our own minds, in our thoughts. And we think sometimes that sanctification is about you white-knuckling your way to holiness on your own and by your own strength. And Paul says if that's what you do, it'll never work. He wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23, that rules and regulations that are based on human precepts and human teachings only appear to be wise in promoting godliness. But then he said they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You doing it on your own isn't going to work. There's nothing valuable there. And Paul explained that the better and more helpful way for you to go about this is to remember that you've been raised with Christ, that is your identity, and then you seek the things that are above, you set your minds on those things that are above rather than on the things of the earth. The Christian life is not lived according to the flesh, it is lived by the Spirit. You are saved by the Spirit and you are sanctified by the Spirit. It is all about the Spirit. And you participate in this only by working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Even as you do that, you remember and know that it's God who is working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Again, not by your strength, but you are participating in this. You're doing things. And what is it that you're doing? You are waging war on the sin in your life. You can't continue living the same way you always lived before God saved you. The Spirit of God lives in you and He's producing holiness. If you look in verse 14, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And the specific thing that he's talking about there in terms of the Spirit's leadership is that the Spirit of God is leading you to holiness. You might notice in verse 14 that it begins again with the word for as an explanation of verse 13. If you have the Spirit of God, then you should follow Him and He's taking you to holiness. Later in verse 29, He's going to tell us that you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Christian, that's what you will one day look like. You will look like Jesus. And you need to follow the Spirit of God to holiness and conformity to the image of Jesus. This is the same thing that Paul said earlier in Romans 6, verses 11 and 12. He said, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. All of this theology in Romans is true. The grace of God, the the saving work of God, the power of God to transform you 
And so you must think this way. I love what Chris helped us with earlier. Think about it. That's what Paul is saying to the Romans and to us. You must consider yourselves to be exactly who God says you are. Consider yourself to be dead to sin. What does that mean? It means you wake up in the morning and you think on purpose and remember that you are dead to sin. You're not a victim. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You are free in Christ by the Spirit of God. Think this way. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body anymore to make you obey its passions. You don't have to anymore. Before God saved you, you, you could only sin. You couldn't help it. Because you were dead in your sin. You were enslaved to sin. That's why you sinned and sinned and sinned. And you weren't just a minimal sinner. You were really good at it. And most of us remember the days before God saved us. And we remember how powerless we were. And Paul wants you to know that's not who you are anymore, but you must think this way. You must agree with God and reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. A slave of Jesus Christ now filled with the Spirit of God so that you now live in victory rather than defeat. Stop letting sin dominate you making you obey its passions. Instead, let Christ reign in your body to make you obey him. Stop following your body's lead. Follow the Spirit's lead. There's an action to take because of who you are now in Christ. You belong to Christ, so live by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.18, live according to His things and His will and under His control. Give up control of yourself to follow the Spirit of God. Yield yourself to His authority completely, having your mind set on His things. Filling your mind with the Word of God, letting the Word of Christ, dwell in you richly. Look at your life now from the perspective of the Holy Spirit, knowing and following His will and realizing His power. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, this is how you must live. If you walk by the Spirit, Paul said, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you find yourself slipping back into your old way of life, thinking about the former things that used to control you, the things of your flesh, which includes perhaps thoughts most of all just about yourself, that you're slipping back into this, you're just thinking about you all the time, you need to reset your mind. You need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you can discern God's good and acceptable and perfect will. The spiritual battle takes place in your mind and in your thoughts, doesn't it? There's a war going on in your brain about what you will think about. And that's where you've got to win. And the Spirit of God will help you do that. If you hold your place in Romans 8, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 for just a moment. 
2 Corinthians 10. Paul said in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, this just means here that we have a body, though you have human flesh, he says, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We wage war in the spirit and we have weapons and our weapons are not knives and guns. But they are spiritual and they have divine power, Paul says, to destroy strongholds. What are those strongholds? He says in verse 5, they are arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. What does that mean? It means that they are thoughts that you have and perspectives that you are tempted to believe and lies that go against the true knowledge and will of God. And Satan constantly throws these things at you hoping something will stick. That you might believe some lie that would then take you off track and away from the spirit and in his control in your life so that you are not thinking what God wants you to think but you're thinking the wrong thing something that is deceiving you and is is leading you to destruction broken relationships immorality back into bondage and slavery to sin and God has given you resources to destroy those lies to expose it for what it is to see the truthfulness of what God has said rather than what Satan is shooting at you you have the power from the Holy Spirit to crush that stronghold so that there is no stronghold that place from which Satan can repeatedly attack you that's how it works in the, in the spiritual war going on is that you believe a lie and you give Satan a, a place to come at you again and again and again. And Paul is saying you don't have to let that happen. You can destroy that thing. You can crush that lie. You can expose it for what it truly is. You can kill the sin because you belong to Christ and the Spirit dwells in you. As long as you live in your mortal body, you will fail and you will get knocked down but you get up by the spirit's power and you start over you keep on killing your sin because you're a debtor to live no longer according to the flesh you don't obsess over other people's sin or how they have wronged you if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live and this is what Great 17th century Puritan John Owen explains so succinctly and powerfully in his short book, Mortification of Sin in Believers. The whole book is an exposition of Romans 8.13. And he summarized it this way by urging us, be killing sin or it will be killing you. 
Kill it fast when it's inside of you and not outside of you yet. Sin on the outside happens when you have allowed it to happen on the inside over time. And your mind is like an incubator for external sin. Kill it there. Why does Paul even bring this up to the Romans in a chapter like Romans 8, written to give confidence and assurance of salvation? The answer is this, because killing your sin is what people do who have been justified by God. It's an evidence of genuine salvation. If you say you're a Christian and you just live the same way you've always lived, the Bible says you're not a Christian. You're a liar. The truth of God is not in you. And there sadly are people all over the world who run around saying they're Christians who have had no change of life. There is no putting to death of the sin in their life, but yet they say they're Christians. If you're walking by the Spirit and waging war on your sin, Paul says this is another way for you to know that you have truly been united with Christ by faith. And if you're not, there's no real reason for you to think that you are justified and saved. Putting to death the deeds of the body is not the way to be justified. But it is one of the ways that you know that you've been justified. This is precisely what John the Apostle said in 1 John chapter 3, verses 6-10. through 10. He said, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And the point in 1 John 3 is just like the point in Romans 8, verses 12 and 13, for you to know for sure that you're saved. In 1 John 3, the word practices is helpful because it communicates an imperfect yet repeated action. If you are in Christ and you are walking by the Spirit, you don't make a practice of sinning. It is not your regular habit now. It can't be if you're saved and become a child of God. You're God's child now and never again a child of the devil. If you're in Christ, you're dead to sin. You cannot continue in it. You are dead to the law. You are released from its bondage. You are married to Christ to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Listen, if you're not at war with your sin and killing it, you are not at home with Jesus, and neither is the Spirit at home in you. Let me try to encourage all of you who do know and love Christ by telling you that this is not as consistent or complete in us like we want it to be. As Christians, we know very well that we still sin, and it nearly drives us crazy. Can anyone relate to that? 
You're sick of your sin. You hate your sin, but you still sin. It's so annoying. You've been saved already from the penalty of your sin and the power of your sin, but you long for the day that's coming when you will be delivered forever from the presence of sin. You sin, but in Christ, you're no longer a sinner. You're a child of God. And Paul says here in Romans 8, if you're a child of God, you're an heir of God and an heir with Christ. You will receive everything that belongs to God one day. But in the meantime, you are at war. And the fact that you're at war gives you confidence that God has saved you. The moments of victory over the flesh and the internal groaning inside of you work together to give you assurance of salvation. You may not be winning as much as you want to be, but you are winning sometimes. Colossians 3.5 is clear. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What are those earthly things in you? He gives a list. Sexual immorality, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put those things to death. These are the things that Paul says bring God's wrath. They are the things that you used to do when you were living in them. Kill them. Kill them all. How do you do this? You do it by the power of the Spirit because the flesh can't defeat the flesh. How do you use the Spirit's power? Let me close quickly with just four things that you can do to kill your sin. Four practical actions that you can take to kill your sin. The first one is this. Learn to meditate. Learn to meditate. And what I don't mean by that is what the world says about meditation, that you should just free your mind. Don't ever free your mind. What a dangerous thing to do. If you've ever tried to free your mind and you just... Don't think about anything. You probably have experienced all the crazy thoughts that can enter your mind when you try to free it. Don't free your mind to meditate. Fill your mind to meditate. Fill your mind with scripture and then meditate on that scripture. Think constantly about the word of God. This is why you need to read your Bible every day, but you need to do more than read your Bible. You need to read and then think about it and let it Saturate your mind and your thoughts. The Holy Spirit who dwells within you has a weapon. It is a sword and it is really, really sharp. Jesus showed us how to use the word of God when he was being tempted for 40 days in the wilderness by Satan. With each temptation the Spirit brought to him, what did he do? He quoted scripture. And what's interesting about that, to me at least, is that each time he quoted the book of Deuteronomy, which leads us to believe that Jesus memorized the whole book of Deuteronomy. How many, how many of you have done that? That's like one of the areas in the Bible where people sort of peter out in the read through the Bible in a year, right? Deuteronomy, Leviticus. Jesus memorized scripture so that when the temptation came, he had it ready. To use the word of God. The psalmist asked in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? 
by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Fill your mind up with God's word so there's no room for any other thoughts. No room for the things of the flesh or false arguments or lofty opinions that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Meditate on the word of God. Secondly, of course, pray. This is pretty simple, right? Every preacher's conclusion of a sermon is like, hey, read your Bible and pray. Yeah, you should. You have to pray. Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray so they would not enter into temptation. And he said the reason for this in Matthew 26, 41, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you're a Christian, that is your life. The spirit is willing. You want to please God. You want to live in holiness and purity and victory, but your flesh is so weak. Because that's true, pray. Pray ceaselessly in this ongoing communion and fellowship with God and the prayer that you continually pray guards you from sin. Ask God to help you to unmask the deception of sin and the devastation that will follow if you give in to that temptation. Ask God to help you see that. Ask God to help you hate your sin. The sin you're trying to kill, do you hate that sin enough? Keep asking God for strength and resolve. Thirdly, I'm trying to hurry, confess. Confess your sin. Listen, do it to God, of course, and also confess it to people. I'm not telling you to post it on social media, but I'm telling you to find some people in your life that you trust that you go to and say, I need to tell you what I've done. Why do I say that? Because God commands it. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God knows about us that there is tremendous benefit when we are sitting with another brother or sister in Christ and we confess our sins because it allows that other brother or sister to help us and maybe chiefly to help us by praying for us. But people that you know and trust need to know the sin you're trying to kill. And that'll help you kill it. Finally, after you meditate and pray and confess, just plain old resist. So many places in the New Testament we are told to resist the devil, to resist temptation. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. James 4, 7 says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells you to consider how Satan is scheming and strategizing against you so that you're not ignorant about that. You, you try to think and understand that Satan has a playbook against you that he has seen work time after time after time. And so think about how Satan tempts you so that you can be ready to resist. 
Romans 13, 12, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Eliminate or at least minimize your opportunities to, st- to sin. Starve the sin rather than feeding it. Learn to flee. Have nothing to do with sin. Don't play with it. Just resist. Say no. By the power of the Spirit of God who dwells in you, the power that raised Jesus from the dead that you now have living inside of you. You can do it. You're not a victim of sin any longer because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.